This is the Territory Story Podcast with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello. Thanks for joining us wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast. It's the weekend edition or Weekends with Bolshie. My name is Peter Gowers and I'm not going to muck around because there's lots to talk about on this episode. Let's get the man from the NT Independent Online Newspaper himself, Mr. Chris Walsh, the editor on the podcast. G'day, Walshy. How are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. And uh, we know from News Bites that there's been a lot happening. And since we spoke, something big has occurred. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, I kind of alluded to it there last time. But like I said, I've been a journalist so long that you don't talk about anything until it actually yes. comes off. So um learned that lesson the hard way a few times. Um, so yeah. Yeah, look, this was something that we were contacted about earlier in the week, uh, and what it was was essentially a uh, an opinion piece uh, penned by none other than Constable Zach Rolf, uh, kind of highlighting his position on everything at this point. And you know, we, I think the um, we had somewhere in there in the headline maybe breaks his silence. Zach Rolf breaks his silence now. Keeping in mind that uh, what's gone on here and transpired at the coronial inquest into the shooting death of Kumanjai Walker, uh, it, it's been, it seemed like he was not wanting to participate. I think that that's how it kind of got portrayed in the media. Now, part of that is that those text messages, right, which we've talked about yeah. before, um, and they're unfortunate text messages for sure. Uh, and he, he addresses that in this opinion piece, but there's still an issue around the legality of that, from what I understand, and that's still part right. of a challenge. And, you know, I guess he was saying that he may implicate himself in some disciplinary measures if he was asked about that. So he's tried to, he's put forward legal arguments saying that he doesn't want to respond to that. Um, I think, you know, in reading between the lines and everything is that he's, he's getting the sense that he's not going to get the opportunity, even if he were to uh, front up to the inquest, that, that the way that that's all slanted here, um, he's not going to get to say what he really wants to say. And so, you know, they reached out and said that, you know, he wanted to write this thing. He wanted to give it to us exclusively at the NT Independent. Um, we were happy to take that. Like I said, you know, we want to show all perspectives. And I think it was important uh, that the people hear from Zach Rolf himself after being vilified in this uh, inquest, you know, whether people think that's right or wrong, you know, that's up to them, I guess. But uh, yeah. uh, just from a, a observing that inquest that I'm uncomfortable with a lot of what, what's gone on so far. Mm. And we've talked about this when we've had the stories about what was actually in those redacted reports and the Pollock Proctor uh, coronial reports were just shocking, right? I mean, you had stuff where they were deleting they were deleting recordings of, of joint management committee meetings into the investigation. And then uh, you had Nick Antisich, the former assistant commissioner, deputy commissioner, coming on saying uh, that he he shut down the coronial because it was finding, he didn't like the findings. It was going against the, the murder investigation. Right. And so like, he shut it down. Like there was just so much in it. And it just like gets, a, if it gets a mention, it's in passing and it's for a couple of minutes of questioning. And then it moves on. And then, like I said, it's taken me hours to go through and actually mix everything together, line everything up to do those stories that I did back in, I think, November, uh, early November. So, 
anyway, and then, yeah, look, and then you get into these issues where you've got Peggy Dwyer, the council assistant, getting up and saying, there are no good guys, there are no bad guys. This is about healing. And then it's like, okay, well, let's get on with this and let's see. And then uh, what we've seen is, yeah, she definitely has a bad guy in mind here. And, uh, you know, six or eight text messages, like I was saying earlier, uh, out of like over a thousand, we understand that they had um, and to find a few that had some language. And look, no one's going to make excuses for that. I don't think that was appropriate in any sense. And I think that that Zach gets that. Uh, So, yeah, so look, he wanted to he wanted to explain to the public exactly where it stands with him, where he stands with it, with this whole process and everything that's happened. And you know, we know that he's, um, and I can say that he he was on a plane this morning uh, around the time that we published this, uh, yeah. and he's taken some much needed uh, leave. Um, you know, I was talking to my wife about this earlier, and. And she had said, you know, you, you read this thing and you really get the sense of the impact that this whole yeah, thing has had on him, right? And here's a guy, like, he doesn't want to, like, he, he points out, and I think we had that in the image, he says, in a different state, none of you would ever have known my name. Correct. That and, was haunting, actually, just reading that, because yeah. he's absolutely right. And he laid out a couple of examples of, of you know, where similar type things had happened in other states. Yeah. and uh, And quite the contrary... The, the and again we we don't know those people's names but they've been made heroes by their departments yeah yeah and this has just gone complete opposite here and and then we see but then right we get back to what the evidence that has been provided and been published by us so far shows that there was clearly tampering of evidence what was going on there um you know the allegations of corruption there of misconduct of perverting the course of justice and the fact that we now know that the dpp told them do not use these use of force experts they disregarded the legal advice they used them and what it showed in the unredacted stuff was that the evidence just wasn't there for the murder charge and so they brought people in that they they could manipulate and we know this this is all proven here uh and get the evidence that they wanted against him. Yeah. And then somehow, through some miracle of the court system, the judicial process, and thank God we have juries, that the jury didn't convict him because we could just as easily, and I think he, he kind of got into that, that he could have gone to jail. We'd yes. be talking about this guy, well, was there enough evidence to actually send him to jail? And then, oh my God, you know, uh, just what, what a, a travesty that would have been. And again, you know, whatever, whether you like them or you don't like them, those are just the facts of what happened here. And that that this police executive uh, moved on him, made an example out of him, uh, persecuted him, as he says. Uh, And, you know, and it gets to that point where he's just he's just a cop. I mean, he's just a guy who who's who's in the job. I think the most powerful stuff in this in this opinion piece and people haven't read it really encourage them to go and read this the most powerful stuff for me was when he's talking about what he actually did in those communities for kids when he would find them out at 3 a.m and realize that they hadn't eaten and that he would take them you know past the service station and buy them some food and they've been some lollies they wanted lollies and as long as they had something more substantial to eat and then he describes the situation that police are in that we don't get to see. And we, we talked about that before when Carrie Joy wrote an opinion piece as well, is that like we don't, as the public, get to understand that full context of what no. that police 
reality is every day and the, the horrible, horrific things that they see and that they have to process and, and just how life is um, for so many territorians that like the rest of us would just are ignorant of. And, you know, it takes a cop to sit down and explain this to us all. And I think that was one of the most powerful parts here. And people got that. Um, but, and, and, and then you realize too, that look, he's just a cop. He just wanted to help people. As he said, um, he doesn't want to be this celebrity, this, uh, everybody knows his name, but they don't know him. Like we all talk about him. I think somebody put that in a comment too. Like, yeah, but you've become a part of our lives here in the Northern territory because everybody's talked about this for the last almost three and a half years now going on. Um, yeah. but, but we don't know him and he's still just a man. He's just, he was trying to do his job that day. He got stabbed. He was protecting his partner. He thought his partner was being stabbed. Looks like there was evidence that suggested that he was. Um, and then the shots were fired and it was an all around bad situation for everybody. I mean, there were a lot of errors that led to that night. A lot of procedural errors here that, that haven't been openly brought up too much in that in that inquest so far but we know from the internal documents that we've seen and that we've published that there were so many errors that went down by the people above um, why irt was functioning even questions about whether or not zach Rolf should have been involved in that and whether he was suitable for that that all comes up and the stuff that we had yeah that's been talked about so much but you know as we've discussed that's not on him that's on whoever sent him there yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm talking about, the, the procedural failures from yeah. the top down. And, and these guys, remember the one guy who sent them out there, IRT, had no idea really what they did. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, I approved them. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. they had no commander. They had nobody in charge of yeah. the unit that night. And they were mm. just running with whatever weaponry they felt like. Like, they were just, it was just such a dysfunctional thing. But that's from, that's management. Correct. Management. Watching that. But look, yeah. Zach Rolf becomes this household name. Um and I think when you read this, you really get a sense of the impact that, and, the, and the impact, I guess, of that, of this whole process of how he became known and, and, and talked about, put on trial. And then even after he's found not guilty, that this continues. And uh, through this inquest where they say, oh, we're not looking for bad guys, but it's very clear that he's being presented as that. And he says that when, you know, I've been painted as a racist, violent cop, he explains. And he just gets into a lot of stuff, some of his background, uh, where he came that from. That to me was also, uh, sorry to cut you off there, Chris, but no. I've I got to say, because, you know, I read I read the article, I read it in full, and then, as you know, I rang you because I was mm-hmm. like, my God, that is so powerful. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, what, what I wanted to, hopefully other readers to get from that article is is the sense of his background his upbringing um you know his sense of mateship his his sense of right from wrong yeah because you know uh, i could see a similarity in as much as i too went to an all-boys school mm-hmm. and look you know i don't want to condone it but there is this culture that permeates in, in those environments and how I might talk to one of those friends is completely different to how I'm going to talk to somebody say in a business sense or yeah. when I'm talking to you or whatever. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but what's happened as a result of all of this is that sort of 
once private conversation and the realm of a very select few has now been made public and has been cherry-picked what the public's got to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. And I think if he was given the opportunity or when that arrives, that, that he'll be saying that in front of the coroner. But he said it here, and I think he brought it up like this, peak two. He says, Jamie Chalker, Elizabeth Armitage, the coroner, Peggy Dwyer, and every party in the coronial who agreed that the text should be released knew that they would get out and they would cause issues in the community. He said, they had access to every single one of my messages and knew that I did not treat a single race differently from others in private. He said, I talked shit about nearly every group of times, yet they released just a tiny snippet to make me out to be a racist, a few messages out of thousands. He said, the parties knew that the messages had nothing to do with the death of Kuman Jai Walker. Because it doesn't go to his state of mind on the night. These weren't yes. from the day or anywhere near that time of that. Yes. Yes. Uh, they knew the damage that these would do once in public. They would hurt the community, he says, the police force and the relationship between them. They didn't care. It seems to me that personal crusades to validate bias are commonplace, even accepted, and are perverting the opportunities for growth, learning, and natural justice. If the coronial's goal was to heal... It has failed. Mm. Yeah, and I, I thought that the um, comment in regards to, as he said, he'd, he'd, talkin', he'd spoken, talking, that's pretty good English, <laughs> um, he'd spoken about every race, and he said, yeah. my thoughts about my own race are the worst of all. Yeah, yeah, so, so he talked about his own. Look, like I've I've kind of disagree with him on some sense that uh, words don't mean anything unless the value that's placed there. I mean, I think words mean a lot, um, and that's just me because I I trade in words. But uh, but I also do agree strongly with what he said when he said, "But I've been raised that actions speak louder than words." And then mm-hmm. when you see what his actions are, that really is yeah. how you judge a person is on their actions, yeah. and not their words. So. Yeah, look, it's all this stuff. Now, one of the things that, that that's new here, Pete, that hasn't come out and is worth exploring again, he talks about how uh, they, his defense team, and he said the Chalker knew this, the defense team reached out to the Australian Federal Police. And this was uh, during the trial, before the trial. This was interesting. Yeah, yeah. And he says he reached out to the AFP and was granted permission to speak and share evidence with a current use of force expert. And then uh, Rolf says whose qualifications far exceeded the now discredited anti-police use of force expert. Well, I think you could get anybody who'd be better than that guy. But he said the far far more experienced and qualified expert believed the shooting was justified, professional, and worthy of commendation. Now, and we get into this, this is what we've said about how, and the more damning stuff has come out about how they needed an independent, the DPP said, get an independent use of force expert. Do not use your own guy that you're pushing and do not use the guy, the international guy who has no context and that you're paying to, to and manipulating his story. <laughs> so what happens here? So they have somebody from the AFP who can look at this. Now, apparently this guy looks at it, he clears it, he watches the body worn video footage and he says and so he's given the same amount as evidence as the other guys and he says yeah look it was fair it was a justified shooting so the legal team of course want to use this guy at the trial because here you go um now they followed what how rolf would put it here as a cop followed the chain of command and requested permission from afp commissioner reese kershaw who we know here in the nt former nt commissioner uh to utilize this expert as an independent expert at the trial 
Uh, Commissioner Kershaw denied this request, stating a, quote, perceived conflict of interest. Now, I'm not clear on exactly what that is, but he said, you know, this is similar to the advice the DPP gave the anti-police, but the anti-police did not follow that. You know, anytime that there's that perception when you're in a murder trial and there's a perception of a conflict of interest, remember Danny Bacon even said that, the less conflicts, the better. Danny Bacon. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it looks like, look, they were playing by the rules here. Now, yeah, that 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 might be worth exploring a little bit more of what exactly that expert found yeah. and why exactly Kershaw didn't allow that expert to be used, who would be independent. Uh, anyway, he says um, that uh, everybody knew now about all of this stuff that's come out. He says a uh, million dollars, millions of dollars, thousands of wasted hours, exacerbated trauma for families and community, and only for the result to be an email to me providing me with remedial advice, which doesn't even count as a formal disciplinary breach. So that's what they've done at the end of this was yeah. for this whole incident. He's been given remedial advice, they call it. Yeah. Um, he gets into some other things here. Of course, he gets into the story of what you don't see, which I, I really encourage people to read. I think that that touched a lot of people today. Uh, yeah. And if you'd just, given one or two examples, you'd be like, oh, yeah, fair enough. But it it, it was, you know, what you would call copious amounts of examples of things that he'd done. Yeah, and it wasn't even probably the most violent stuff either because, remember, Carrie yeah. Joy went into some, some really disturbing and horrific incidents. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he talks about just what the problems are in the communities and how he tried to help, how he tried to to do yeah. his best to make things better for everybody. And and it, I think it, those it, examples were day-to-day stories too, yeah, Chris. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, I'm sure, as you say, you could get much more violent, much more sensational type stories. But I just thought the, the almost the beauty of the examples was just they were just so basic, you know, yeah, letting a guy with hot feet rest his feet on his shoes, things <laughs> like that. It's like, whoa, you don't even think about that. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. That was a good one. Um, yeah, so, yeah, he says uh, he talks about all of this. He talks about now the small number of incidents. I think he had four use of force stuff, and that had come up, and he's saying that's out of context. Cops talking badly about him. Now, he also, of course... You know, and he'd been critical of the inquest. He also kind of takes aim here at our old mate, Jamie Chalker. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Chalker, I mean, just and unbelievable. Th- uh, thank you, Zach, for providing the uh, headline for the for this particular episode. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we'll couldn't have been that. given more of a gold-wrapped plated thing if I tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we laughed at that one when we first read this. <laughs> it's, um, but then how true it it really is. And uh, I don't know, like, look, in any other jurisdiction, surely the guy Chalker, the police commissioner, after all of this, would be gone, would be on it, would have resigned. But this guy st- keeps doing it, right? And one theory is that, you know, if he's gone, he can't control things anymore. He can't control if there are investigations into him. But sooner or later, like I said last week, sooner or later, it's gonna, the, the axe is going to come down here one way or another. Um yeah, look, and, and Zach has a unique perspective on all of this. Uh, haven't been the, the, the kind of subject here of Chalker, uh, Chalker's um, crusade, as it were. Uh, and he talks just about police and, and how, you know, the, the problems with leadership and how, yeah, uh, they're just not doing what they should be doing. He talks about how the executive now decided to uh, medically retire him due to mental health concerns yeah, now yeah. this is um 
And he said he was directed to uh, see a psychiatrist. The psych reported that I have no diagnosable issues and believes I'm right to return to work with a supportive return to work plan. The executive uh, has refused to offer that plan and instead served me with notice of their intent. That was two weeks ago. He then got another Section 79 disciplinary notice for daring to speak out about the poor treatment. That was like an old interview that he did, I think, right after the... Uh, the verdict or something with Channel 7. The Channel 7 one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's just recently they brought that up. Which had uh, gone for, that interview seemed to go over, you know, quite a few months. Yeah, um, yeah. And and that was the, um, that was the interview that saw, um, oh, one of the characters that we talked about earlier, uh, is it Detective Newell? Yeah. And yeah, uh, he, he'd taken issue with Channel 7. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he was sweating uh, like a fat man get... in a parking lot that day. Yeah, yeah. The guy from Channel 7 saying, why are you doing that? And yeah. <laughs> and it was and just yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. That was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you could remember all the details of that, but that was something. Uh, just how they've handled this. but and, and really what this comes down to, and you're talking about mental health issues, we know this. We know with Sergeant Mark Casey, uh, last week, get in the sack, um, uh, and 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 just that it's in contravention of what Chalker says when he talks about how he wants to improve and support mental health in the workplace. And then, like Rolf points out, he says, "Yet when I am stood down under the guise of poor mental health, the organization continues to come for me for daring to set the record straight." They fired Mark Casey, an outstanding cop of 25 years, against the discipline panel's advice because he criticized them. Mm. When narcissists in positions of power feel like they lose control of a subordinate, they often commence smear campaigns against them. This seems to be standard procedure for the current anti-police executive. He says, uh, when a leader exhibits behavior most closely attributed to a liar, a coward, and a narcissist, it is not wrong to challenge this behavior. If he cannot handle any personal criticism of himself and responds with, quote, misinformation and abuses his position to exact revenge, then he is no longer serving the people. Rather, he is treating the anti-police as his own personal fiefdom with impunity. He says... uh, he goes on that, uh, you know, using the messages, uh, he says, the, the, the most senior anti-police officer in the NT does all this, hurting the community he has sworn to protect more than anyone else. Uh, and he says, look, if any police officer is on the job right now and their main priority isn't to help people, they should resign. If their main priorities are protect their career, progress their career, or destroy someone else's, they should leave immediately says he's repeatedly attempted to actually meet Chalker in person and have a conversation. Chalker's refused to do that. Uh, And he says, I've been used as a pawn over these last three years to satisfy the political goals and personal egos of narcissistic clowns in positions of power. He said, when a clown takes over a castle, he doesn't become a king. The castle becomes a circus. This is your legacy, Commissioner Chalker. So it was at that point I was thinking, Zach doesn't have any intention of uh, reintegrating with his <laughs> former employer. Yeah, look, I think that I think that you can tell that the, just by reading this and the fact that he he's taken the time to do this, and he knows that there's going to be blowback for doing yeah. this, as of there course. was for Marchese, but he felt he needed to do it. He was at the end of his rope here. He's um, He's on some some leave now to uh, get a rest and I guess deal with what he's had to deal with for so long. Um, 
And yeah, I, I think fully they expect that there will be the chalker will try and do something that this will be another ground. They may be able to have a case or an argument against the mental health concerns that they've raised and maybe able to deal with that. Yeah. Look, I think this is going to bring up fresh disciplinary action against him. They're always looking for something and he's gone pretty big. And I can tell you with the thousands and thousands and thousands of reads that we've had of this today, <laughs> you know, you get to that point where we know people are talking about this far and wide. Um, yep. Even the Australian picked up some things today on it. So, uh, Chalker, as, as Rolf points out, does not like the criticism. He doesn't know how to handle it, and that's, that's clear. So what's he going to do? He's going to lash out again. And look, I fully expect that, um, yeah, that the NT Independent will be brought up too at the, the inquest when it resumes on Monday. Uh, and that's going to be interesting. And we know that uh, mm. Chalker's personal lawyer there, Freckleton, was paid $700,000 in the past year through contracts. Like, this guy's getting rich He's off of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, throwing our name around a lot there and trying to get us held in contempt. But I think that, look, when you get down to it, and I've got to measure those things as the editor, is that this needed to come out. People, frankly, needed to read this. And, uh, um, I don't think that there was an opportunity anywhere else for anything like this to come out. So, yeah, we made that editorial decision to run, and we'll stand by that editorial decision. And uh, I, I just think that when you see what the, the, the emotional toll that it's taken on somebody like Grolf and the fact that, you know, here he's trying to be a good cop, and then we've got the commissioner running around doing his own thing, these allegations, these accusations, this evidence coming out of what actually happened. We need somebody to, I mean, you know, I keep banging on about this, but somebody's got to do something at some point. You know, when McRoberts, uh, that's a previous before Kershaw police commissioner, he went down for perverting the course of justice. Now, the police were investigating him quietly. Even though he was the commissioner at the time, he didn't know that there was this group investigating him. Um, yeah. You know, is that possible that maybe that's going on now? I sure as hell hope so, because somebody's got to look at it. And I know the ICAC's gone on, and he said uh, today on radio, but I, I'd sent him some questions last week, that he says that he's close to finalizing his uh, investigation into the four days between the shooting in November 2019 and the day that, that Rolf was charged with murder. And of course, that was allegations of political interference. He says that he's nearly done that, but he won't release anything or his findings until after the inquest. And quite frankly, who gives a shit? Because I, I'll tell you this, Pete, that it's not going to be a surprise. That, guess what? He's found nothing. Because <laughs> how the hell are you even... I? The thing that bothers me, and so I sent him a question back, and I said, look, okay, fine, you're, inter you're investigating uh, political interference in the charging of Rolf for just four days. Something happened in those four days. I said, now, the evidence that I've been reporting, and I said that I understand somebody made a referral to you, well, Turner did, and that you have the same documents. Now, are you going to, to be looking at that stuff that happened after the charging when the misconduct appears to have occurred during the criminal investigation process? And he came back and said, no, I've made it quite clear that I'm looking at the four days and I will not look at anything further until after the coronial inquest. So he hasn't even expanded despite all of the stuff coming out where we, we were showing him where to look. You know, you apply pressure until you feel pain. Right. And we're telling them, here's where the pain is being felt. We've applied the pressure for you, Michael. Go and investigate this. Here's all the documentation. I'm not giving it to them, but I know other people have. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, here it is, go and do it. And he's saying, no, no, I'm not until after the inquest. Maybe I'll look at it. Maybe I'll, well, he should have put it in there because there's no way he's going to be able to prove political interference unless, like, I don't think Madison and Gunner, I know they're not very bright, but they're not stupid enough with Chalker to put it in writing. Yes, you do us a political favor and we'll do you one. Like, <laughs> there's no way he can possibly prove that. So I think anyone who has their hopes set that something's going to come out of that ICAC in that four-day investigation, no, not going to happen. But what we need to be looking at is where we know misconduct happened. Mm. Hey, just on the um, potential blowback and I guess the word is recriminations um, for Zach Rolf in writing this opinion piece, given that they've, uh, uh, forgive me if this is not the right terminology, but given that they've effectively um, forcibly retired him. Yeah, yeah that's what, what he said. What, what blowback is there? Because what, I can't re-sack him. I hire him back and then sack him again. Well, like I said, I think that there might be grounds there for challenge more. Um, but I, I don't know how the process works. Okay. We actually went to the union today and they weren't going to say exactly how they're helping with that. But clearly he has some rights in there that they could just yeah. medically retire when the psychiatrist is saying, you can go back to work. You're fine to go back to work. Yeah. You need a work plan. And they just won't do that. So I think they had some issues, but I think like, look, they're, they're trying to get him on, on just about anything that they could or can yeah. at this point. So this is just going to be another thing, but I think he was fully aware of that. He knew what he was doing when he wrote it. He knew of what he course. was doing when he sent it to us. So well, given his colleague, yeah. what happened to him last week, I think there's no surprises. And obviously he's at his wits end. So going back isn't his uh, priority or his wish. But at the same time, it just seems odd that uh, they would they would put it in that situation because if the psychiatrist says, now you're fine to go back to work, and they say, oh, no, he's not, or we won't give him a return-to-work plan, I'm sure yeah. that doesn't sit on his shoulders, that sits on theirs. Yeah, to prove, to prove otherwise. Yeah. And, and then, you know, maybe they have their own internal psychiatrist they can use against yeah. the butt advice yeah. thing. <laughs> and then they get, you know, that they want created there from the psychiatrist. They had a use of horse <laughs> expert come up with evidence for them. I'm sure they can get a psychiatrist too. If you get a use of psychiatry expert to come in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I tell you, you know, you got to laugh about some of this nonsense because it just builds yeah. up and it's so crazy. But and, yeah, you know, but you got to feel for Zach here and, uh, and the whole process and how this has all gone down. And I think at the end of the day and, and seeing the comments and stuff, I think Territorians just want answers like they want repercussions here for for what's happened and how this has played out uh yeah. you know some sort of justice that the people who manipulated things and did things be hiding in hiding um are finally brought out into the open and held accountable and and that accountability mm -hmm. is so hard in the end like we've talked about all the time it's just so hard for anybody to be held accountable um yeah. when they are the ones responsible so you know, we, we keep pushing for that. We've got other stories. We've got other issues that are going to come out. We're, we're going to continue to push for that. And hopefully, mm. you know, if it takes some federal agency, whether that be AFP or whether that be the, the federal government, somebody's got to do something here soon. Because mm. we can't just continue with a with police commissioner with this cloud hanging over him after this yeah. and just pretend. And then, you know, and then he brings the integrity of that inquest into question when he goes and he does his victory lap there in November and says, oh, the truth has come out. Everybody loves me now. Well, and then we start saying, well, is the fix in here? Is Chalker working with Dwyer and Armitage to uh, paint this narrative that he's the good guy, that he turned in a racist cop? I, I tell you, like, that, that, 
Yeah, that's what people will be thinking, though. That's how this is looking. Mm-hmm. So um, we need to clear the air. We need something to happen to clear the air and restore confidence, the people's confidence in the judicial system and the anti-police. Like, I can't even believe that we have to talk about this. It's yeah. so serious and fundamental that you don't let it get to this point. If you're a minister, mm-hmm. you get rid of people, you start doing stuff because the public cannot lose faith in those incredibly important institutions here. And yet... Mm-hmm. They seem not to care. They seem let let's just let chalker control like run on like a like a wrecking ball through the whole thing. How many more good cops? I said that last week about Casey. How many more good cops are we gonna lose to protect one bad one who's in charge mm-hmm. of them? So we gotta fix well, it. We'll, we'll talk about that in a bit more detail as well in a later story because there's there's something that we're gonna talk about, which we mentioned on news bites that I said at the time, look, let's get let's unpack it further. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the thing that I would say at this point, and we'll move on to the next story in a sec, but I would just say that th- there may well be, there may well be a counterbalance to all of this, and we'd love to know what it is. So, it, it, you know, I'll put it out there that if if the commissioner would like to talk about it, then more than happy to have him on the podcast to go through it because. It just seems, it just seems so strange, as you've said, that another good cop would be pushed to this limit. Mm. Yeah, that's how it feels. Yeah, look, and I think that's a great offer to make him. And in fact, I do it every time that we run a story. Is we go to him yeah. for comment and say, "Look, yeah. just explain to the public what's going on, what your thought process was here." Uh, and then he never takes us up on that. Uh, they did actually get back to David Wood, the media team, and the police this week for an unrelated story. So that yeah. maybe that's promising. You know, they got rid of their previous guy, Rob Cross. Um, yeah. And now they brought in this uh, woman, Margaret McKeon, and she's actually responded to what he, what he sent questions about an issue and they responded. Okay. So, um, yeah. yeah, look, we, we always remain open to, to working with them. We've always said that. So yeah. we just, yeah, anyway, but I think we're at a point now where something needs to happen. So we'll I see. agree. Just lastly on that, I also thought, um, and I assume it's true, but I also thought it was pretty big of, Zach Rolf to actually say, look, I'd like to meet with the commissioner at any time, try and clear mm. the air, and 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 he didn't get that to date. No, no, and that seems to be his mo. That's how he mm. does it, hide in the shadows. Well, let's move to the next story. Um, and it, it's a different story, but the, as we talked mm. about on the news bites, there is some questions as to how this may have come about, and the action for Alice Page Facebook page has been suspended by Facebook, the owner's Meta. Uh, and the owner of the page has now decided to launch a, a website because obviously they're going to own that um, that IP. But you know, just shutting down that page, which has been a great resource for the people of Alice and those interested in Alice from outside. Um, yeah, talk talk to us about that, Chris. What's happened there? Yeah, well, that's it. Just um, kind of shut down here for 28 days. Now, what do they say for not living up to the standards or something of the Facebook community? I don't know what the hell that means, but you, you get in a situation here when we know this for a fact that police have been dispatched down there from Darwin down to Alice to find out who's giving this guy information. Darren Clark, of course, the baker who started this page, and now he's revealing stuff that the police would rather not get out and, and be made public. So they had actually, and we know this at one point, sent people down there to try and find out who was leaking to Darren Clark in the action for Alice page. 
Now, right. I think it turned into like a Spartacus thing where everybody in town said, yeah, I'm the league, I'm the league. And, uh, and they got frustrated and Murray Smallpage packed up and came back up to Darwin. But uh, and another mission failed. Um, but now it appears that like, look, he's saying this, Darren Clark's saying that he suspects that it is this ban has come about as a result of the government and the anti-police executive. Uh, and we know the impact that he's had, you know, one man with a Facebook page, right? But somehow when it, when it captures something like this, where yeah. the, the, the community is so concerned for their own safety and what's going on, that they need to be able to communicate with one another, especially in times of crisis. And it seems that Action for Alice has kind of crystallized everybody's fears and, and hopes that the things would be better. And it, it's certainly played a significant part in, um, bringing it to the national attention that uh, you then had the prime minister show up there for a few hours at least and say, here's a check for a quarter of a billion dollars. And also files, do your job and implement these alcohol bans. That's going to help a little bit. Of course, the bigger problems are there and underneath. But I, I think that everybody accepts that Darren Clark and Action for Alice paid, played an important uh, role in bringing the problems of Alice Springs to the forefront and, and getting some action going, which is what he wanted. So yeah, look, now you've got him, uh, uh, shut down. And, and in fact, so we, we went to the police now that was, I think ABC reported, Oh yeah. He said the government did it to him. And then they didn't go to the government to ask. He's making the allegation. Did you get him shut down? They don't even bother. I just, that just blows my mind. That's just journalism 101. The guy makes an allegation that you're reporting. Go to the other side and say, what's your response to this? But now nah, they don't bother. So we did, but guess what? They're not going to respond to us. So <laughs> Woody sends questions. So we're like, the wiser. Well, so to the government now, now Files' office, of course, they don't want to comment on it, but he does send questions, and this is what I've sent to Margaret McKeon at the uh, NT police. So the new director of communications, uh, she flatly denied it. She said that they have not campaigned to have action for Alice shut down. Now, whether or not campaigning, what that means, we know that they went yeah. down to try and find who was leaking to them anyway. However, she said it was general practice when police received complaints from members of the public regarding quote, cyber bullying, adult cyber abuse, image-based abuse, well, then that's getting a little far here, or illegal and restricted content, they will often be referred to the e-safety commissioner. And that is a real thing. Like, I know people laughed about that, but we actually do have that. I know that from previous stories and things. Uh, well, it makes sense, I suppose. Or, or they'll refer to the specific social media provider while specific cyber crimes will be investigated by the relevant agency. So yeah. uh, you kind of get the sense there that people could complain to police and the police will refer them to to Facebook. And then anyway, so look, anybody could get it I shut mean, down. Facebook for whatever. Their own rules, so. Yeah, and they basically said... Uh, that um, they thought that the posts were correctly removed for violating our bullying and harassment policies, but, but we've not been given any uh, evidence of that or any examples of what exactly the bullying. And the question thing. would be why now? Because yeah, it's been yeah. Well, the timing time. is yeah. The timing is yeah. It's called Action for Alice twenty twenty. It's out twenty twenty three. I'm like, yeah, he's got his own. That's how annoyed he is now. 
built-in expiry date there. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, they said we place restrictions on pages and amends to re- repeatedly break our rules. For example, we may temporarily restrict them from posting, commenting, or sending messages. Again, doesn't really give us any details. Clark said that he had previously had a three-day ban a few years ago. So I guess to your point about why now, he had a three-day ban for a video that he had posted that they didn't like. And a video he had shared from the Mango Inquirer Facebook page blog. Now that's hilarious yeah, because that should, that should that, be at least that's a three day thing. That lunatic <laughs> who runs man, the Mango Man himself, he's running it. Jesus, he's losing his mind. And they're just like, yeah, keep going, buddy, keep going. And he's running like videos just like of crazy stuff that. And they're just like applauding him, like, yeah, you go, man. They're live streaming, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah, like crimes as they happen. And he's doing weird (laughs) stuff. And he's like dancing on dead bodies or something. And they're like, yeah, you go for it. Mango Man. Mm. So I have no idea. But I guess it shows you like, I mean, no one's taking the Mango Man seriously here. But (laughs) so I don't know. Anyway, I just that's funny to me that that guy's losing his mind. And they're, they're just allowing that to continue. But here where this guy in Alice Springs is making a difference in the community, we got to shut him down completely. So, you know, uh, I think he, he had said he was on, uh, Alice Springs radio ABC this week. And he said, you know, um, he told the ABC. It, so there was criticism, right? That there was, uh, racist and violent comments put it on, put on there, as we mentioned the other day. Uh, and he always said, look, I, I try to address somebody. He's got a business to run and he's got stuff. And you, you're going to have idiots who just do that. Like I've said, like I know from the anti-independent, how many stupid comments I need to delete yeah. because they're just stupid. They don't add anything to the discourse. They yeah. just are stupid. They're not anyway, trying to add anything. They're trying to take away. Yeah, it's just, it's just stupid. Anyway, so he says, um, yeah, he said this ban is from mass reporting by people on the fifth floor of the empty police that is all this is there's someone there trolling my page to make mass reporting of content i'm just telling the effing truth this is what pisses me off uh yeah so he said he wanted to uh he's got a tiktok account uh added to have a website at hope to have a website and a Twitter Speaking account up. Dancing in inappropriate places. TikTok <laughs> account, I love it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then followed at some point by a YouTube channel. So he's, um, because he says, look, everyone thinks this town has died down and there's no crime. I can tell you there's a hell of a lot of stuff that's going on. He said, we don't have a local newspaper. We don't have a local TV station. So 90% of the gear that I put up, no one would have known about. People were suffering. It was hearsay. It was talked about at barbecues. People had had enough. I actually gave it a platform for it all to be seen. And I provided all the evidence and all the proof that these things were happening. He said, we'll broaden this now. We'll make this a Northern Australian site and we'll bring the top half of Australia together and we'll show the federal government what exactly is going on because they can't hide it anymore. Yep. His biggest mistake was going on a platform that somebody else owned. So yeah. now that he's launching a website, he can do what he wants, put his yeah. videos there, yeah, put up, yeah, have a comment section if he wants. Um, yeah. So, and, and yeah, look, I, I think, I don't think anyone's doubting his intentions either that he, he, no. he's committed to the town and he wants to see everybody get along too. I, I there's another guy that you could say, oh, he's a racist because he's allowed racist comments. Like he hasn't allowed racist comments. He won't tolerate that. Yeah. He's not a racist. Yeah. He knows that 
the only way Alice Springs is going to improve is if everybody gets together and starts fixing it. Indigenous, non-Indigenous, everybody. Uh, uh, and I think that that's what this, you know, what, that, that's ultimately what the solution will be and what it will come down to. And you need something like that that can connect people and inform them and show them the facts of what's actually going on in a place because yeah. you need to know what's going on before you can have that discussion on how to fix it. So let's hope yeah. that uh, this does continue in some form. I think he also said that he would be coming back on Facebook after the ban as well. He'll serve the ban, oh, but he looks to expand more. So let's see what happens. Yeah, before you go and label him as anything, just have a think about this, particularly if you're not in Alice Springs and you're thinking, oh, you know, what are they all whinging about? Imagine you go out and you come home on 42 different occasions and your house has been broken into. <laughs> That's what he's dealing with with his business. Yeah. So yeah, it was 42. 40, it's probably 43 by now. Yeah, because this was Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, yeah. just think about what that would be like. I know. And yeah. how they all are that resilient to keep going down there. I don't even understand. Yeah. And, and I know that you were um, critical of the fact that they didn't go to the other side to ask the question, Chris, but mm. I want to know why 28 days. Is is yeah. Facebook showing some sort of gender diversity by doing 28-day bans <laughs> and not 30 days or 25? Like, why the 28? Yeah. Zuck's born in February. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it, 28 <laughs> days. Um, yeah, look, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, they, yeah, they had things and they apologized to them because somebody complained about the video and they watched it and said, oh, no, that's fine. And then, but then they came back and said, no, you're gone for 28 days. It was supposed to be a seven day and then it became, two, I don't know. Like, I don't know. There's no rhyme or reason. By four. To the, yeah, fair enough. Know. Well, look, let's move on to the next story because uh, there's some things in there that we want to talk about uh, that relate to the first story. You just don't know it yet. Um, the huh. Files... Chief Minister Files has unleashed a trust tirade against the Labor MLA regarding wrongdoing that she cleared, Yvonne, cleared the same person of a year ago. Yeah. Or two years ago now. Yeah, about a year and a half. It was more than a year, but um, two years ago from when that whole cocaine sex scandal thing erupted and... Uh, <laughs> We went through that process. So, man, those were some wild days. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, anyway, so she goes on, and we'll, we'll get into that in a sec, but uh, she goes on on ABC uh, Radio Darwin this week and says um, she's asked about number for Blaine Mark Turner. Now, Turner, of course, an outspoken oh, yes. critic of uh, Chalker and is getting a lot of plaudits for that. A lot of people patting him on the back and saying thank you for standing up against chalker jesus you're the only one in the whole assembly that's doing that <laughs> now i think glamley has too um but that's it so uh and you know even the opposition with all of this going on they still won't say anything about chalker you still got warden and files supporting him. it's crazy anyway joe laverty does a very good interview with um files and she says at the end look mark turner we'd asked him last week if he was still a member of the Labour Party. And he said, we should ask you. And then she just said, we don't trust him. And she just kept repeating this. We don't trust him. We don't trust him. And then uh, Joe Lavery said, okay, why? Like voters need to, they should at least be told why you don't trust him and why he's not a member of caucus. Uh, no, we just don't trust him. So yeah, Katie, 
No. So, Joe? <laughs> but she just said so. <laughs> so the Labor Caucus is a group of parliamentarians that trust each other. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have said in the past, outlined barely, very clearly, that he is not a member of that Labor Caucus. Uh, it just, yeah, he, he breached the trust of our team. Because she keeps being asked about, well, okay, what did he do? What exactly did he do? He breached the trust of our team. We take that very seriously, Files said. We trust each other, and we don't trust him. Our team values trust extremely. (laughs) So just another great word salad of hers. Uh, Now, (laughs) the only thing that we can think of is that this has to do with the cocaine sex scandal. Now, the problem for Files is this. She cleared him of misleading Parliament. She was the chair of the Privileges Committee. He was referred to both the ICAC for investigation and to the Privileges Committee, and he was referred there, uh, I think it was by the CLP, but Gunner backed it because Gunner was the one who came out and said, he lied to me about all of this. Mm. So they refer him to Privileges. Now, Privileges is never used. They never do anything. They're Mm. supposed to. They're supposed to be very powerful, and they can kick people out. They can take all kinds. They can put people in jail, the Privileges Committee, like members, right? Currently, the Privileges Committee room is just used for storage. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's right next to where the old jail cell is in Parliament House. And there is a jail cell, and that's filled with computers, old computers that they were clearing out at one point, I was told. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, so look, so he's referred there, though. She's the chair. She does her own investigation into this, and she says that he's fine, that he has, uh, that he's not misled Parliament. She said that at first that uh, there were material changes to the statement. This is what Gunnar said at the time, as he was forced to make a statement about this affair, this alleged affair that he had. Um, and it was weird. He got all Bill Clinton about it. He said things like <laughs> it was uh, it was uh, uh, not appropriate, but it was nice. And it was, uh, you know, it was just it was all this kind of stuff. Anyway, um, Gunner then says that he had made material changes because Turner said, look, Gunner's backing me on this. Gunner then came out. We still don't know all of this. This hasn't been explained, but he said material changes to the statement that took out some very important denials, Gunner said, uh, and wanted him, tried to kick him out of the party. And the party said, yeah, no. Uh, and Gunner was humiliated with that. The leader of the party couldn't even get him kicked out, but the party members in his branch anyway said, no, we want him here. We like him more than you. Uh, so anyway, so but Files, so he is sent to that privileges committee. Now, Files uh, dismisses him, clears him of misleading parliament, said the committee, quote, decided to discontinue its inquiry because the allegations do not warrant further consideration. And they got into dictionary definitions mm. of words to exonerate him. But anyway, they exonerate him. She signed it. Dated October 2021. She was asked again, yeah, that day, why? Why, if the Privileges Committee and the ICAC both dropped their investigation, why was why wouldn't she just say, why did she have no trust in him? And she just repeatedly would not say it and explain to people. But you actually have to do that. He's an elected member of parliament. This is just... You know, her thumb and her nose again at voters here, at the electorate, at territorians. This is a pretty serious. This guy was voted to represent his people. If you're yeah. kicking him out of the party and kicking him out of caucus, essentially that's all they can do is kick him out of caucus. Uh, why? Just explain that to people. The voters have mm-hmm. a right to know that. So now we don't know, is he going to run as an independent? You know, is he not? Now, the other irony of all of this is that you've got files talking about a trust deficit. 
<laughs> like so her. This is something that I wanted to talk on. Yeah. This is this is something I wanted to bring up with you because I read all that and I was like, this is this is really interesting and really intriguing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now let let's say let's say, all right, everything that's been going on for the last couple of years is all above board. There's nothing, there's no vendettas, there's no personal whatevers, and it's all it's all just a part of running a government and, you know, running a police service and running public service, all that sort of stuff. Let, let's just assume all that's the case. With Just with the sheer amount of complaints, and let's take the NT Police Union, for example, the fact that they've come out with this overwhelming negative response from their questionnaire that they sent out and yet the chief minister and the police minister and the senior government ministers who are part of this trust team apparently they all refuse to act on it in any way shape or form steadfastly agreeing as a team united we won't do anything about it yet the outlier is the one showing leadership by saying i don't know if he's done anything wrong Let's investigate this. Let's let's at least send it to the right people to have a look at it. Yeah. Does, does that not, is there not something about that that's like counterintuitive? Pete, I, I think you just summed it up perfectly. I think that is exactly what we're in with this trust deficit with them. They're the ones that are not trusted now to, to come out and say that you don't like this guy and you don't trust him, but you won't say why when he most recently has been the one, the only one saying we need yeah. to look into this. I'll refer to the federal attorney general as a labor member yeah. and the prime minister and get their attention. I know he talks to some of the federal members. Uh, he's showing more leadership. You're right. I think you just summed that all up. And I think that's really it on this. Um, uh, yeah, and the, now the other part that makes this uncomfortable for Files is this, is that she's either, when she cleared him in the Privileges Committee, she's either misled Parliament or she's lying to us now on radio when she says he cannot be trusted because she said he could be trusted and that he had done yes. nothing wrong. And now right. she's saying for some reason. So then, yeah, you get back to it. It looks like, okay, so the reason you don't trust them then, we think it's the cocaine sex scandal, but you won't say that. So maybe it's something else. Maybe it is the fact that he's the only yeah. one asking questions about Chalker and calling for a royal commission into the entire NT police. And yeah. really, we need something to call it into a royal commission, whatever you want, federal inquiry. We need a federal inquiry into the NT police. Because I read that, and I think she unwittingly or unknowingly dug herself into a hole mm-hmm. and didn't realize what she was doing when she did it. Mm-hmm. And, and now, in my opinion, and look, I know we I know we often criticize the government. I get that. And and I'll do the same with federal government who are now apparently looking into changing the superannuation rules. Yeah. But that's because they're in government. Yeah, you exactly. Know? They're the one making I, the rules. Like yeah, they're they're I mean, making the I, laws. I can't criticize the others because they're so impotent right now that mm. they're not even making a ripple effect. Well, but so be. yeah, so I know we get accused of sort of piling on but in this case i just thought i wonder if she hasn't realized what she's done here because she's actually made saying how strong and wonderful this team of trust is has actually made it worse makes it look worse than it did before 
Well, let's not forget that this uh, group of parliamentarians that trust each other, as she calls them, are also the same ones who approved that $12 million for the grandstand <laughs> against yeah. any type of common sense. <laughs> These are just wasting money um, and, and corruptly at all of that, too. So anyway, yeah, as long as they love one another, I guess that's all great. But the rest of us, we got to start getting stuff done and we got to fix this place. And they're all just there in their little cabinet loving one another. And and the reality is that the answers might be very straightforward and they might be very sincere, but we're not getting them right now. So at the moment, the perception, as we always say, Mm -hmm. is is the thing that looks bad right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, I don't see how she fixes this because you know, it's just left over from Gunner though. It is this trust of it's in the Gunner and she's just doing exactly what Gunner did. And mm-hmm. all yep, all in their group of parliamentarians that trust each other. Uh, great. Mm-hmm. Good for them. It's funny how you bring up the um the grandstand because I was thinking before, like a I, I pictured this sort of cartoon in my head of they had the privileges committee and she's come out the door and it's like no, 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 nothing to be found, nothing to be seen. It's all above board. Oh, and by the way, bright, shiny objects. Look over here. <laughs> yeah. New grandstand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah, they'll try anything. And, yeah, we're all, we're the ones losing. So, anyway, we got to fix mm. it. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story and talk about a, uh, a principal, a former school principal's lawsuit against the former ICAC, we've got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, is now over, uh, which is over an alleged school r- report, um, has been revived after appeal. It was it went to court and lost, and then she's appealed it. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I know it's kind of hard when you explain yeah. that stuff, but um, yeah, because this one was it was kind of strange. It was taken to the appeals court. Now, yeah, what had happened was okay. So this woman, she's the principal of the uh, Millingimby School. And I think you remember that. I think we talked about her. Her name's Jennifer yes, Charrington. Now, the ICAC's report comes out, finds that she had, uh, uh, concludes that she had used money intended for, quote, the poorest co- cohort of children in the country, you know, mm. disadvantage indigenous kids in the NT, uh, for her own personal use, including for charter flights, hire cars, shopping sprees, and fine dining experiences. Now, yeah, it also found she had hired family members against Rose and attempted to manipulate enrollment numbers at the remote school for more government funding so she could take it and spend elsewhere, right? So right. it comes out, says this. Now, interesting, she hasn't been she hasn't been charged by anybody, right? And we know that there's an issue there. Whenever they'll fix that in terms of what the ICAC investigates and it seems when they do their investigation, the DPP and the police don't really care. Uh, but anyway, so she, she then turns around and she sues Fleming, the former ICAC commissioner, Ken Fleming. And, uh, I think the government's named in there too, the anti-government, uh, she had that thrown out of Supreme court. Now she had said at the time that it was misfeasance in public office that she'd been unfairly targeted, uh, to cause harm. And that Fleming did not provide her procedural fairness for all allegations against her. Uh, but that was thrown out of the Supreme court. So now, last week, she she had appealed that decision last week. It's overturned in the appeal. And uh, and that's kind of where we are now in terms of where she goes. Uh, yeah, like I said, she had denied the allegations of corrupt conduct and launched the lawsuit against Fleming last year in which she claimed he acted in bad faith, had ulterior motives, 
for the report and that she had been unfairly cast as the villain in the sensationalist report. Uh, again, yeah. Now the the report was actually completed by Rex Wild, who great name too. Yeah, not he, a great name. He starred in some other doozies for the ICAC while he was there, <laughs> like the uh, investigation into the fifth floor staffers who altered the scores on the contracts so that they could get Jamie oh, Chalker hired, and right. where where the the by local guy had said like this is like crazy corruption. I've never seen anything like this, and they're like, nah, it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> um, so anyway, he had done that. Now, Sherrington's lawyer, Trevor Moses, had alleged last year that the investigation was full of errors. She had not been afforded natural justice, that Fleming was rec- had recklessly caused reputational harm. But Burns, Judge Justice John Burns, does a lawsuit on the grounds that there was insufficient evidence that Fleming had acted in bad faith. Now, Barr overruled that decision last week, saying, quote, it is by no means clear that the decision of Burns is wrong are attended with sufficient doubt so as to warrant its reconsideration on appeal. But the Miss Sherrington only needed to show that the interests of justice make it desirable to grant leave for this legal action for her to try and, and do this. So, uh, yeah, he gets into some some cases and stuff about that, but it, that he's not formed a clear opinion adverse to the success of the proposed appeal, but he thinks she should be allowed to. So the appeals court will hear further arguments. It just was like at that time when this was out that uh, Dixon had come forward, uh, Damien Moriarty and some others had sued the ICAC. And um, well, Moriarty was successful on the grounds, on, on you know, two of the 14 grounds that he had raised, but that he wasn't provided procedural fairness either. And that, that was upheld. So, you know, um, w- w- we always hope that the office of the ICAC are doing these investigations properly. And, uh, yeah. Giving people the, the the natural justice. This one, I don't know all the grounds. I know I could see some of the the, the legal documents that were filed in this case, but uh, it, it's yeah, it's just another thing. I think that the ICAC probably doesn't want to deal with the new one. Yeah, and, and I just think like, man, this guy's really never going to put out a public report because <laughs> everyone that is, that is Stop uh, tying him up with other stuff. And put out everyone his predecessor put out. They're like filing legal action yeah. over he's going to get really nervous about doing any public reports if he, if and, he isn't already and if that's upheld um is does that give us some indication that the investigation style of the previous icac may have been flawed yeah that something's going on but of course none of this has been proven yet yeah. um so we'll see what happens but yeah look yeah if 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 She's found not to have been given procedural fairness. Even just that, I think the whole thing that he acted with bias—that he was out to get her. I mean, That's a come bit on. harsh. I mean, you haven't yeah. even known her. <laughs> Clearly, he didn't. But if they did procedurally, if they screwed things up, which we know that they have before, um, right? Then That's a different. And you get another thing where this is like going to be a payout potentially. Well, geez, you know, like. The only one who's still going to be there is Kesey Pure. Kesey's the only one who's got the only report and the <laughs> corruption here found to engaged in corrupt conduct. And she's still running around trying to get things changed related to the ICAC. So anyway, um, we'll let the courts, we'll let this all go through the mm. process here and we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, 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 questionable stuff. All right. Now, the, the next story uh, was concerning because we've talked about um, security issues at Casuarina Square previously, Chris. Uh, and this week, due to, look, we've got to say, you know, uh, sort of un, uh, well, 
unfair is not strong enough, but some antisocial behavior yeah. and fighting, etc. Yeah, fight violence. Let's just call yeah. violent behavior. Yeah, violent behavior. <laughs> Students <laughs> have been banned from Casuarina Square after days of violent attacks. Yeah, you know, everybody gets up in arms about that, saying, oh, is that discriminatory and, uh, and all this? And you know, I get that argument, but I think, yeah, the, the management here has to provide a safe place for its clients, yes. essentially, its customers that are coming in. And so uh, uh, they've put this ban in. It was only for 48 hours, but it was six uh, Darwin senior and middle schools uh, that any of the students going to those schools would not be admitted to the school. They brought in extra security or the mall. Sorry, it wouldn't be admitted to the yeah. mall. They brought in extra security guards uh, to monitor like the entrances, apparently, mm-hmm. and to ask people. So uh, they were allowed if, if attended with a parent. Um, yeah, she said uh, the mall manager, Pauli Lamont, said uh, we will have guards on entries and students from these schools will be refused entry to Casarina Square. Uh, students entering the shopping center with a parent or guardian will not be refused. However, the student must remain with their parent or guardian for the entirety of their visit. So no sneaking off to the toilet here either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Parents have to be with them. Uh, yeah, students coming in after school to wait for their parent or guardian will be refused entry. Now, that 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 seems to make sense to me. And we'll need mm-hmm. to make alternative arrangements. Um, why are you going into the shopping center to wait for it? Anyway, uh, yeah, the mall's management had advised Department of Education, Anti-Police, and Schools of the ban. Uh, and uh, as we said, Files uh, said that she approved of this. Uh, the things, yeah, that everyone has a right to feel safe, she said. Uh, and also came in that area when the Casarina was recently designated that uh, high-risk area. That allows police police to ban mm. people from attending the shopping center or neighboring streets for fourteen days for yes. swearing or singing a dirty yep. song. You remember? Yep. Uh, <laughs> and but sea shanties are okay, incidentally. <laughs> sea shanties are fine. Apparently. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. You know that there's a lot of trouble going on there, and uh, I guess this was something. I don't know how 48 hours does, but mm. we'll see. I guess it was getting the message out there to parents. Are more, are more cops got any, uh, you know, restraining order to, or, you know, restraining equipment that they can use? Handcuffs, tasers, things like that? Or they just, you got to just tell them to move on? Oh, the mall cops, you yeah, know, they just yeah. got the flak jackets and the flashlights. And <laughs> Although those guys look like, yeah, you know, like they. Blinder. Yeah, they are taking it pretty seriously. They they got all they're, they're all done up, eh? But uh, I wouldn't mess uh, with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they so might get some more high powered segways in there. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is what they need. But they'll probably be stolen. Uh, <laughs> this place is just it can get so messy there, and they're just some places mm-hmm. like underneath Woolies. Like I don't think anyone even ventures there anymore. It's, they? like, it's that's like a, where it really goes. It's like down. a desert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You take your life really in your is. hands going in that yeah. part of the yeah, and see any cars there's no one walking around yeah. you, you hear noises coming from there but <laughs> you don't want to explore the, yeah the, absolutely not no steer clear yeah they gotta they gotta fix that but like, i think the the, the shopping center is clearly taking action and, and committed to doing that the government seems mm. to be giving them some powers to do it so this, this is good mm. overall yeah it's a positive that's true. Now, Chris, um, we've got a by-election coming up for the uh, seat of Arafura. 
Yep. And uh, both Labor and the CLP have named their candidates. That's right. Uh, I'll just get that now. Remember, well, today they put it out. They put out the statement. So the writ's officially been issued by the Honorable Hubert Q. Heggie. <laughs> what do they call I, I swear to God, she called them something so stupid in a, in a thing today. And I don't know if it was a typo or this is actually what his title is. I'm going to read this for you. She just put this out today. Uh, statement on air if you're a by-election. This morning, I met the administrator of the Northern Territory. His Honor, Professor, the Honorable Hugh Heggie, PSM. His Honor, Professor, the Honorable. Yeah, it seems a bit much, but I think that is the official title, Chris. <laughs> His Honor, Professor, the Honorable Hugh Heggie. What? His should, Honor, the Honorable. Just pick the highest one, I reckon. Yeah. Just roll which, which, I think which one goes highest. We're just going to call him Heggie. Um, what would you call him in Canada? Oh, uh, Lieutenant Governor there. Oh, okay. You would say like Right Honorable or something, Right yeah, Honorable, yeah. Yeah, Lieutenant you just get Governor. One title. <laughs> yeah, th- this is this is nonsense. Anyway, I'm sure <laughs> we, I can't wait for his parade in five years when he's leaving them all <laughs> too. But anyway, look, he th- back to the what's going on here. He drops. He issues the writ now for the by election in, in Arafura to be held on Saturday, March 18th. We've talked about this before. Um, the by-election will occur after the state funeral for Lawrence Costa, the member for Arafura, of course, he died in December. The funeral, the, now, yeah, look, and I don't mean any disrespect here or anything, but he's a backbencher. I don't, I honestly don't know why there's a state funeral. I got to say that. I'm just saying that I'm not trying to be disrespectful okay. to him or the family, but you don't typically do a state funeral for a backbencher. That's all. It, is it about you know. something he did pre-politics? No. No, okay. no, no. I, I have no idea why they're doing this. But anyway, look, uh, they are. Now, that's it. It'll be on March 1st in Darwin. But now, followed by the member for Air Fear being taken home um, to Melville Island. Now, that'll be, and there'll be a funeral there on the 3rd, which is the Saturday, I think. And then guess what happens? Polling starts on the Monday, the 5th. Right. So, nobody can campaign. Wow. Okay. While, they, while they're in this morning and before the funeral, like it's just yeah. going to be disrespectful of the sorry business. So yeah, they can't yeah. do that. So it really gives labor this advantage to um, to do this because as soon as the funeral's over, then the votes start happening. You have remote polling there, uh, yeah. remote area. So it, it, it seems that way that it, that it benefits them. Uh, yeah, so they've got, they have named their candidates, the CLP and labor. Um, now I'll just give you a brief, brief rundown of those guys, uh, and just so you know, too, Arafura Electric covers the Tiwi Islands, which we know, also parts of West Arnhem and Kakadu National Park. Uh, now both of the candidates come from Tiwi Islands, where all previous winners of Arafura have held, uh, and I might get the names wrong here, but uh, the Country Liberal Party announced here just this week, Tiwi Island Regional Council Deputy Mayor Leslie Tungatalum. I'm probably okay. not saying that right. T-U-N-G-A-T-A-L-U-M, Tungatalum, as their candidate. Uh, he'll now be running against Labor's Manuel Brown. Uh, yeah, so uh, Tungatalum is the son of the late Hyacinth Tungatalum, a former CLP member for Kiwi and the first Indigenous Australian to be elected to a state or territory parliament. Oh, wow. He also holds some senior roles across the electorate. Uh, yeah, and his positions include chairman 
this is the Canada of the Bathurst Island Housing Association, NT Aboriginal Investment Corp board director, and Tiwi Islands Training and Employment Board chair. Mr. Tungadalam said he aims to set a strong example for young people in the electorate. Um, yeah, so certainly um, somebody who's involved there and knows what's going yeah, on yeah. in the community, which is good to see. Now, that's the CLP candidate. He'll be running against Manuel Brown, Labour's candidate. Uh, he, too, has been involved, I guess, in a lot of uh, community things out there. He's from Manangrita, uh, held various positions on different Aboriginal corporations as well, and the Northern Land Council. Uh, okay. with community programming, including um, programming involving alcohol and other drugs and youth services delivery, including youth diversion stuff out there. So okay. uh, that sounds very good as well. Uh, now, he had worked, Manuel Brown had worked for uh, Lawrence Costa here, the former member of Arafura, as a liaison officer. Uh, yeah. So um, anyway, he's... Uh, He's the labor guy. And of course he would be if he's working. And I look, I think he sounds okay on paper here and I don't know the guy, yeah. but yeah. you always just think like, Hmm, you couldn't have gone out and got somebody. It has to be somebody who's working for you again. <laughs> it just seems to be Mr. Yeah. Iran Young there. He Pick was from within. staffer, Brent Potter, the ultimate staffer and the brother-in-law of the chief of staff. And then he gets picked when people were trying to get the nomination. Now this, so, look, yeah, it's going to happen on uh, March 18th. Uh, but like we said, oh, it's the uh, preliminary voting there starting March 6th. So I guess yes. I'll say something. So it's going to be, um, it's just going to be a whirlwind there, really, when they can't campaign yep. and, and who's going to take it. So, we, you know, when you're looking at this politically, I think the odds on favor would be Labour to retain it. They've got a guy who worked for the previous guy who's doing it. You know, it depends on what the feelings are out there. And it's difficult yes. to teach in the remote places, right? Like you can't do polling when we used to do polling. You can't do polling there. Um, it would be bigger issues now. Do they care about the voice where you've got, you know, somebody like um, uh, Yingi Aguila saying, well, we want treaty first. No one talked about voice. We want treaty. So, yeah. You know, what, what what's going to matter to the people out there? And did the CLP shoot themselves in the foot by, you know, at their central council meeting last weekend, say that they didn't support the voice, the, the rank and file of the party put motions, even though now the caucus wing, the parliamentary wing is saying, oh, no, we've, uh, uh, you know, it's up for everybody. We just want more information. Anyone can make their mind up. And that's a whole really messy situation the CLPs found themselves in. Will that mean anything at the ballot yeah. box that they don't know? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is really in those kind of issues or those kind of elections or by-elections. It's who can be organized, who's on the ground, who can get their people out. And traditionally, we've seen the CLP has been really horrendous in doing that. Uh, and I, so I think that the you'd have to favor labor to uh, to retain that unless the CLP can somehow get organized and do that. And I, and I just don't see it. But uh, but like I said, we don't know what the resentment is out there. I think people are resenting. Now, another big issue, of course, would be the bans. The, um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Bans. So yep. what will that mean? What kind of impact will that have? Will they be angry with what's happened and how Natasha Files handled that? Because she totally screwed that up. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. These are the issues mm. that are at play. We'll see what happens. But it really, I think, just gets down to old-fashioned politics and getting organized and on the ground and that, that the advantage is labor there. 
Yeah. Is it strongly held by Labor? Oh, good question. I haven't I haven't looked at those numbers. Um I think look, last time I can tell you, last time you had when the CLP was in power, it was CLP. You had Francis uh yeah. who was the member there, and then when the CLP got slaughtered in the 2016 election. Mm. Um, and then had uh, Lawrence Costa come in from labor. So it's, it's been a swing seat. It okay. is definitely that can happen. It yeah. just it depends on what the resentment level is there, I guess. And But, mm. but and labor will be way better organized than the CLP. So we'll see. Lots of red shirts getting on display <laughs> as soon as they can. Yeah. Anyway. And they'll probably fly. Files around and <laughs> there. Throw, t- throw tickets out of the plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. We'll see what happens. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Let's move on to the next story. And uh, we talked about buy local, I think, last week. And um, according to a new report, there's been no progress made to provide verifiable data to evaluate the buy local plan. <laughs> you know that a story's going to be awesome when verifiable data is in the <laughs> headline. That was Woody. Uh, yeah, it's um. Look, I, I think that this is the issue that uh, that's kind of happening every year. He he makes recommendations and he says, "Okay, here's what you need to do. You need to actually document this stuff, right? You need to do yeah. things properly and professionally." And they just don't listen to him, and they just continue to do what they do now i guess like overall this is his fifth annual report it was dropped on monday uh he uh he said that that it does look like a lot of the the, the contracts of being awarded are going to local enterprise in fact he says 90.6 percent are uh now the issue comes with the fact that he he just cannot conclude whether the increased government procurement through the territory businesses because of a lack of re- of whether or not how the procurement plans are actually working uh because and and you know that they're monitoring it and making sure because there's just no data reliable or verifiable data to back that up now uh let me see here oh sorry the 90 90- 0.6% figure was for tier two contracts and above, uh, which was those were above $15,000. So 76% of 1,783 contracts were awarded to local enterprises. Uh, it was the second lowest year for percentage of local contracts awarded with data going back to 2018 19. So uh, the data provided to me this year, he said, which includes the comparative data for previous years, has again altered when compared to the data provided to me for these same periods last year. This is an example of why I continue to be uncomfortable to rely on statistical information extracted from the current government procurement recording systems. The absence of information continues to leave me unable to make a reliable assessment of the effectiveness of the buy-local plan based on verifiable data. Uh, now, this is it. He just doesn't believe the government's own information. So yeah. that's how much we, we trust our government. Getting back to what Faust is about trust. Now, his line here, I am unable to reliably reliably report on the effectiveness of the bi-local plan until accurate baseline information is available. And given that the government has done nothing this past year to address this matter, I consider that no progress has been made on this recommendation this year. Yeah. Cop that. <laughs> 
yeah, and he says like just like in a single integrated procurement management system. Now the Auditor General's gone on about this as well, and he says I find it difficult to understand why any large organization such as the NT government does not see the benefits in having a single integrated procurement management and reporting system. Where you know everything is because you got different agencies, different departments doing different things here. Does it, does uh, it say transparency? Uh, yes, it would, oh, and that's oh, what they're calling there's for. The, there's the issue. Yeah, and that's why they won't do it. So, uh, yeah, look, the, the buy local plan, of course, was established and named at um, uh, seeing the largest the possible proportion of every dollar spent by the anti-government stay within and deliver benefits for ter- territorians. Uh, however, yeah, while they try and do that, there, there are ways, proper and professional ways to, to keep, to, to, to approach that target and to yes. keep records of that. And they just choose not to do that. He had made 21 recommendations, uh, 10, let's see here from the last annual report, uh, two, uh, were, have, were not progressed at all. Ten were in progress. Four had limited progress. And two two had made significant progress on. So two of 21, they make significant progress. And one he could not comment on. <laughs> so, <laughs> could not or would not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to explain what they did. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, he says, look, to be fair, he says they're likely to have delivered satisfactory value, I guess, when it comes into it. This is uh, the first time since the introduction of Biolocal Plan that I've been able to to reach this conclusion. So he's saying that, that all 19 agencies were likely to have delivered satisfactory value for the territory through their procurements. Notwithstanding the reservations I have, I've concluded that a very high percentage of procurement awards made by the government in the last year are likely to have been determined based on the selection of the best value for territory outcome as anticipated under the procurement framework. But again, you can't say that for sure, but he thinks that things are working good. I'll tell you right now, if the Labor Party slogan going into the next election is, we're likely to achieve <laughs> to achieve mediocre results, I'm voting for them. <laughs> They're likely to achieve anything. <laughs> we're likely to achieve anything. <laughs> yeah, so uh, anyway, it looks like I, don't, I just I don't get that either. They, they get pressure from him and the uh, the auditor general to introduce a procurement management system, and they just don't do it anyway because that would keep track of it, like you well, said. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So we'll wait for the next report. We'll bait a breath again. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep track of this one because I reckon it's the same as last year's, and I'm going to make sure in 12 months' time, if that comes up, we get some answers. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see how we go. All right, and look, let's move to the last story tonight because this is really about achieving in your role. And uh, the business minister uh, was on <laughs> was on radio just this week talking about uh, the fact that he does not know the size of the NT economy <laughs> and got the budget spend wrong by a cool one point three billion dollars. That's B with a billion. Yeah, like I guess we maybe we expect this from labor. I mean, this shows this is a guy, one of the trusted cabinet colleagues who trust one another, yeah. sitting around not understanding what the hell's he's going in the, on in a circle, the <laughs> circle of trust. 
Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> Files calls it the circle of trust. He's in the corner of that circle in the dunce cap, as we haven't portrayed here. <laughs> he doesn't understand what the adults are saying when they're talking about the economy, the $40 he's, billion dollar economy. He's still looking for the corner in the circle. exactly look kirby kirby's a nice guy i think anyone who knows him would say that paul kirby's a nice guy uh maybe not been a business minister material even you know his background is a he's an electrician he's a sparky that strong union connection then they put him in as the business minister business and jobs minister anyway look he's on uh on the old k on the so katie show and uh she, uh, I, I think it was the uh, week that was their thing, and somehow so the question had come around to him: uh, How are you guys going to reach your target of a forty billion dollar economy? Uh, I don't know. And then they, she said, "Well, what's it at now? Like, what, what, what is the figure at?" Well, you know, I you, big uh, it's like you know, it's like eight or nine billion. Now, now that is so. He thinks in seven years that the economy is going to go from eight or nine billion to forty billion. He doesn't yeah. know how. He's the business minister. Uh, something's really wrong here, right? Now, what he was and all, talking the major, about, and all the major projects are dropping off like flies. <laughs> yeah, well, that's and that's why it came up because of Project Sea Dragon going down the toilet, uh, dead in the water, as they say. Uh, yeah. He see, he just said so. He said something. So he picked up one line at the meeting, and he said, "Well, we're going to continue to be audacious in giving money for these projects. We don't care if it makes sense. We're going to be audacious and do it." So, uh, okay. all right. So, so, but they asked him about that. How are you going to get that seven years away from the forty billion dollar economy by twenty thirty? Uh, and he says, "Yeah, look, I, I don't know. It's probably seven or eight billion now." No, not even close. Now, what he was messing up there, I think, was the expenditure for the year. But even that is wrong. (laughs) So I was trying to be kind here. Uh, Of course, like I was thinking, wait, the the actual economy is somewhere around in the $25 Anyway, according to Treasury and finance figures, which are on clearly on the website that you would think a minister would would be aware of, um, in 21-22, the tariff chart. Territory economy increased by 4.7% to 26.1 billion. After a decrease, though, 1.4% in 2020, 21. Now, the budget papers for 22, 23 show the total territory expenditure, including that capital investment, was 9.27 billion, which is what we think he was getting at when he said it was seven or eight billion. But still, even his highest figure is $1.3 billion off and what the spend was. Now, yeah, you think of, of we're not being fair here. This guy is a minister. This guy's at the table, right? They're talking about how they're going to, you know, expand the economy, make this. This is all that they've talked about. Like they've done publicity, they've done ads. It's just their whole thing. Forty billion by twenty thirty, yeah. and he doesn't know where it's at. He doesn't know anything. He's not the first clue. Yeah. Of, of where to start with this? Oh, well, yeah, you know, and like he, there have been so many cringe moments with him and in interviews where he just seems like he doesn't know what he's doing. Woody, Woody went to uh, to the chief minister's office, uh, asked if she would be taking any action against Kirby uh, <laughs> if she felt if she still felt he was fit to be a minister, and if he needed to undertake economic and financial training. She did not respond. 
uh, Edgington, Steve Edgington, the CLP spokesman for mining and industry, he said Kirby's lack of knowledge was concerning. <laughs> said the $40 billion economy by 2030 is a pretty big promise from the Labor Party. So it's very concerning to see one of their ministers not knowing the current size of the economy, the government's budget, and how much they've even spent. Edgington's not said. just one of the ministers, the dude responsible for bringing it in. For business and jobs. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I mean, aside from the treasurer, he's going to be the next most uh, important numbers guy there is. Yeah. Look, this, this, what he said, and look, Woody's got some of the other stuff he said here, and it's problematic because it still shows that he doesn't know what he's doing. So Kirby continued on the program on that day, stating that the files government would, quote, continue to make audacious asks and put the projects on the table for the NT because that's what we have to do and we'll continue to support industry. Yes, these big projects do have blips on the radar, but I'll remind people Impex was the biggest gas project ever to take place in the Southern Hemisphere. Like, we can do these big projects, he said. We did once, that was over 10 years ago, (laughs) and nothing since has stuck. But I I think I've, um, I've isolated the issue, Chris. Yeah. Rather, rather than using the word audacious, he needs to start saying we're going to be bodacious. <laughs> bodacious, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I think no one's going to call him on that because I won't be so amazed he's using that word. <laughs> oh, God. You know, like a, a funny thing, and I, I don't think I've even told Woody, like Woody caught this program where he was sticking his foot in his mouth, Kirby. But uh, also in Parliament that week, I, I heard him and he said uh, when it came to. Tr- Treaty or the voice? I think it was the debate around the voice. Parliament, he said, ah, you know, everybody, I just got to thank these people for the inertia that they took to get this up and running. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, I'm like, wait, 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 wait a second. The inertia. (laughs) Like, what? That that means not moving from what I understand. Like, but he meant the exact opposite of that. So, like, Kirby, like, really nice guy. Um, yeah, maybe he shouldn't be business minister. He meant the un inertia, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. And this is what I was saying before, and well, you know, him bringing up Inpex. I mean, this is the thing that they think that they need another Inpex, it's just not going to happen. I was too big, no, it's not no. you need to be realistic and you need to do yes. what you need to do. And you got to be paying attention when you're around the cabinet table about what's going on. I cannot believe still that he didn't know the value of the economy or even what their yeah, budget yeah. was for the year. That's just. We've got to focus on accumulating lots of little things. Don't worry about the big ones. We've we've uh, shown yeah. how well they're going at the moment. Let's get some little, <laughs> well, get some little runs much? on the board. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll see, we'll see, but uh, yeah, you just, it's just another kind of week where you sit back and be like, yeah, these guys best have no idea what they're doing. And this guy caps it off with that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, even still, that's not going to be the title of this episode, Chris. Nice try to put it, give me the idea there, but I've got the title <laughs> already worked out. Yeah, I think Mate, I know. It's been a pleasure. I'll catch you again <laughs> next week. All right. Thanks, Pete. We'll see you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walsh, back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. I'm off to write the title, When a Clown Takes Over a Castle. See you next week. 
You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.